0: Now, we're in a series, and that series is on 1 Peter, and uh, we're moving right along, and this section right here, he's going to move into a subject matter that we'll sit on for the next three weeks, and it is everyone's favorite word. That word is submission. Is there anyone in America who doesn't like the word submission? Doesn't it bring just joyful thoughts to you? Don't we all automatically think, submission, what a great biblical word, and boy, does that ever set us free? Now, it's a four-letter word for many of us, but I assure you it's not a four-letter word in the Scriptures, and we'll see that here in just a minute. But here's what we need to understand this. In this section, please hear me. Peter is restricting his arguments to talk primarily about submission. He's not going to give exhaustive treatment on all of the subjects that we're about to to take on for the next couple of weeks. So today we're going to talk about government. And what Peter is talking about, not exhaustively how are Christians to interact with government. That's not the point of this passage. It's what does it look like for Christians to submit to a government? And he's going to set it up, though, in verses 11 and 12. And if we don't understand 11 and 12, we're not going to understand any other place where he talks about submission um, uh, to the government authorities. He's talking about submission in the workplace. He's talking about what submission looks like in the home. If we don't understand 11 and 12... We're not going to understand the rest of this section. So just very, very briefly, where have we been so far in this series? The whole overall book of 1 Peter tells us that when faith gets difficult, we can stand firm. Desire fulfilled is a tree of life. We talked about the hope in the future. A living hope is an active hope. It is not a passive hope. It is active. It is joining God you know what he's asked us to do? Last week we said this, we often wonder if God has stopped working, but we can trust that Jesus won't stop building. Now let that carry over into this week. We may wonder if God has stopped working, but we can trust that Jesus will not stop building. He will not stop building his church. And we said he's going to do that in two ways. He's going to build his church numerically as more people come from outside of the faith inside of the faith. And we don't mean that outsiders are meaning have less value, etc. cetera. We just mean those that do not believe in the claims of Christ to those who then have their hearts and minds changed and they do believe the claims of Christ. That's one way in which the church is going to grow. But the other way the church is going to grow is functionally. How do we relate to one another? How do we relate to the community in which we live in? And I he's going to talk about how do we relate to a government? If you have your Bibles, open with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. In context of submission, it says, a temporary hope will always resist submission, meaning this. If your hope lies only in what is happening right here and now, if your ultimate desire, goal, et cetera, in life is to make this particular life The best it could possibly be. If your whole existence is tied up in what's going on right now, you have a temporary hope. And a temporary hope will always resist submission. Why? Because when something occurs that's not necessarily best for you, how do you handle it? A living hope, on the other hand, looks towards what is to come. And a living hope places not hope in what it is that I can do, I can be. It's what I am a part of, what I can point to. And a living hope can actually say, Lord, if you want to use my life in an instant so that others can look at and have their lives radically, their futures radically changed, then so be it. A living hope can embrace submission, but submission to who? ultimately, to God. A living hope has a submission in God. It has a deep-seated trust in God, so much so that it believes that God can even use pagan authorities in our lives, and that's where Peter is going for the next couple of weeks. You, my friends, my church, you, my brothers and sisters, can submit to pagan Authorities, rebellious authorities, not authorities that are God. You can submit to them because you're submitting to God. And God can even use those authorities in ways that we can't see. If you have the ability, would you stand in honor of God's word as we read 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. We'll go through 17. You may be seated. Beloved. Another way it can be translated is dear friends. Another way we could look at it is brothers and sisters, or perhaps even my dear children. When he is writing this letter, he is not writing a letter where he is disengaged from the people at whom he is serving. Now he doesn't know all of them personally. But a pastor doesn't have to know everyone personally in order to care for them deeply. What I'm convinced is, is that Peter has been praying regularly and consistently for folks. And something happens to our hearts, doesn't it, when we pray regularly and consistently for people? Do you have someone right now that you are struggling to even remotely enjoy? Last week we talked about you don't have to like everyone. We are called to love the church. You don't have to lo- like all of the church. If you have someone that you're just struggling, struggling with to even, I would encourage you, just pray for them. Put them on your prayer list and pray regularly and consistently for them and watch what God does to your heart. I'm convinced Peter has been praying for this group of people. Remember, this is in what would be modern-day Turkey. He's writing the churches abroad here. I don't know how many total people would be receiving this, but I feel confident it was more than just one congregation. And Peter says, Dear friends. Not just you who happen to be reading this letter, you nameless and faceless people. It is dear friends. This is a pastor that is speaking to a congregation, not from a cold and distant place about what we ought to do. He's stepping in as one who is among them, who gets it, who understands how difficult it's going to be to do what he believes God has called us to do. Dear friends, he says, I urge you. It's a strong counsel. I exhort you. In essence, he's saying, please do not neglect what I'm about to say. Do not take the posture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds great in theory. And I know that I probably should be doing that. But let's be realistic. How can we be expected to do what it is that you are asking us to do? In fact, Peter, do you know how absurd this even sounds right now based on our context? You're about to tell us that we should submit ourselves to a government that not many years from now is going to be actively killing us, as in putting us up on posts, lighting us on fire so that his party might be held by by, by Christians who are lighting the way at night throwing some of them to lions. Now, it's probably not happening when Peter wrote this, but it wouldn't be too terribly long after that. Peter, are you crazy? I am urging you. I am pleading with you, not because I'm above you, not because I've mastered this. I'm telling you, this is God's will for our lives. So please, don't ignore it. Don't just hear how hard it's going to be and say, I can't do that. Hear how hard it's going to be and then say, God, you have to help me. And so hit your knees. It's probably why he was praying a good bit for them. He's not writing as somebody who has mastered this Christian life. He's writing as somebody who is being mastered by Jesus. And he's saying, I beg you, I urge you, please listen to what I'm about to say. As sojourners and exiles. Aliens and strangers would be a way that another translation renders it. Abraham described himself this way in, in um, uh, I wrote down Psalm 33. That cannot be correct. It's got to be Genesis 33, in which Abraham <laughs> referred to himself uh, like this, uh, to the Hittites. And then David also said as much in Psalm thirty-nine, twelve, when he was in prayer, that we are aliens and we are strangers Paul uses the term aliens in Ephesians 2 the writer of Hebrews whoever you may be says that the heroes of the faith considered themselves as strangers on this earth that's in Hebrews 11:13 what all these have in common all these are people who trusted God mightily and every single one of those people that we just mentioned considered themselves as aliens and strangers in this particular world but they had a radical trust in God's active involvement in this world. Meaning they believed God so deeply that if he said do it, they were going to do it. Now that's much easier when this is not my permanent home and I'm not expecting this to be all that I want it to be. When I am not deluded into thinking that this world has all that my soul is so desperately longing for, it's gonna be much easier to radically trust to God who can walk me through some very, very difficult circumstances in life. But if my hope is trying to make this particular world the best that it can possibly be, I'm going to have a hard time radically trusting God. So Peter keeps coming back. Look to the future. Think about that future hope. Set your gaze on the author and the finisher of faith. He's coming back. It's going to be what you long for. But right now, treat this world not as your permanent residency, but as a temporary stopping point. Last week, we said goodbye to a gentleman who had been a part of our church for just a little over a month. This was a man who approached me and uh, said, man, I wish I would have come here the first week that I was visiting. He had a job that required him to be here for just a couple of months. And he's involved in uh, another church. And he shared uh, with me just the joy of being amongst God's people uh, here at Wildwood. And he said, I'm so glad you guys are, are, are we're talking about First Peter right now. And he said what gripped him the most was this notion of this future, this hope and this future that is to come. Our, our hope, a living hope, he said. He said it really did make me think right now I am temporarily residing because I have a job to do here in Tallahassee. But way back home, back in Birmingham, I miss my wife, miss my kids. I miss my church. I miss home. He said, I like it here. I love it there. Pray that God would help us to see we got a job to do. What is that job? He tells us next. There's <laughs> aliens, strangers abstain from the passions of the flesh flesh which wage war against your soul. Say no to that which comes naturally to us. Uh, that which I don't have to think about, prepare for, um, uh, that which is self-centered, self-absorbed, that which is going to build the kingdom of me, say no to that, resist that, don't tolerate that. Um, uh, uh, some of the... the um, Uh, Oh, man, Puritans. Some of the Puritans would say it uh, this way. Mortify mortify the flesh. Listen, kill those desires. Resist those desires. Why? Because it's, it's waging war on us. Notice it's not saying it's just a tiny little battle. It's not just a small disagreement. It is waging war against our very souls. Say no to those particular desires. Resist those sinful passions. Resist the self-centered life. But then he says this, but pursue honorable conduct. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Now, I love this term honorable because I think it leaves a little bit up to uh, the individual to, uh, to define. Now, there's some... There's some parameters that are in here. In other words, it's a, it's a life uh, that is worth celebrating, in essence. Living honorably means that we are giving respect to, etc. But But I like this term because, um, can I ask it to you this way? What, what would be an honorable life to you? How do you know when someone honors you? When do you feel honored? Take that same principle. And show it to others. Now notice the particular context he's giving it in. Into the Gentile world, those who are not yet a part of this faith family. Resist what comes naturally. It's going to wage war. Fight against it. And then pursue honorable behavior that you can live right in the face of other people. Those who are ostracizing you, those who are pushing you away, those who are poking fun of you, those who are looking condescendingly down upon you, those who are trying to suppress you, those who are trying to hold you back, live such honorable lives among them. Why? My kids earlier in life, when they were younger, we were trying to teach them one of these family values. And we're trying to teach them what love is, trying to teach them what respect is. And so I shamelessly uh, offered them each uh, $25 for each of the family values that they would memorize word for word. And, And they went after it. And, and I, I wish I could say, and they memorize it such that now it is such a part of the fabric of every thought mode of deed that they have, but it's not that of me either. I mean, their values saying, this is where we want to be, this is what we want. To be. It doesn't guarantee that we're all going to live it out perfectly. This means we've got something we're shooting for. In there, we had one of our passages that said that use this as a, as a rule of thumb. It is the golden rule do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And there was one particular child that could not wrap his mind around this particular concept. So the way he continued to take it is this. Do unto others as you think they're going to do to you. Church, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know how it is that you're being pushed out or or left out or poked fun. I don't know. I don't know what it looks like in your context at work. I don't know what it looks like. Maybe you're the only believer in your family. Maybe the only believer in your workplace, your neighborhood. I don't know what it looks like, but do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Live such honorable lives among them. Why? So that when Jesus comes back, those very people who are poking fun of your ridiculously conservative lifestyle that is so far out of touch, it's so far behind, it's not keeping up with the 2000s. That those very people who are pointing fingers and mocking you would say, whoa, that's what you were trying to say all along, isn't it? This is who you were trying to point me to. You were living a life right in front of me. I had every opportunity to see it and to respond to it. Wow. They may not do that now. But on the day of visitation, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, live such honorable lives so that it would be painfully obvious to everyone looking, that you are a little Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus. You are submitting to God. That is what he says we want to do. But in other words, for Christ's sake, submit. Submit first and foremost to Him, which means that you can live a life in front of others and it doesn't matter how they respond because you'll be freed up to live a life of submission to God because you never know how God's going to use you. About six years ago, I was privileged, um, right? It was just before we came here, but I was privileged to have a gentleman um, that spent a great deal of time tracking me down. And he shared the story. I had met him earlier uh, as he had made his way into IAA, and uh, he reached out to me, and and I chose, uh, yes, to sponsor him for a brief season. And this particular gentleman um, just couldn't get past this notion of a specific uh, God. I I said, look, AAA is broad enough that it's for anyone. Um, it, It just talks about a higher power. I will tell you on a personal level, though, I believe Jesus Christ is the higher power as I understand him. And I can only tell you what he's done in my particular life. And he just couldn't couldn't embrace that, couldn't, couldn't get his mind around that, just this thought. And so uh, from time to time, uh, it, no, persecution, nothing even remotely close to that. From time to time, he just poked a little fun. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. You're the Jesus follower. And he just couldn't find sobriety. And I kept telling him, work the program. But I'm I'm telling you, if you want freedom for your soul, man, it's found in the person of Jesus. It's not found in church. It's not found in religion. It's not found in prayer. All those things are helpful, um, but but, but freedom is found in the person of Jesus. Well, he left after um, he chose to leave after falling off the wagon um, so many times. Something happened in his life. We, in the world of addiction, call it rock bottom. He finally got to that place where he was so sick of himself and what he was doing, and the ways that he had hurt people, that he heard a voice. He thought that he was hallucinating, but praise God, when he looked around, there was an actual person that was there. And this person just simply said to him, I believe God has called me to come and to talk to you. He said, okay, I'm willing to listen. So they talked and they listened, and this person just simply laid out the simple gospel story. He responded. He got involved in a church and began to grow. And he went through a great deal of trouble to get back in touch with me, and he said, I want you to know, I don't think I would have listened to the gospel in that day had you not been so kind even when I poked fun of you before. And I said, well, I'm Presbyterian. I think you would have. <laughs> Folks, you have no idea what God is doing in your life. Because you're an alien and a stranger, others have their eyeballs out. They're looking because we all love to look at the strange. We all take a little longer look at those who are not necessarily a part of the culture. They come in, what, what are they doing? What are they saying? What I, I want to hear. I want to be a part of it. We, we, people are watching. I promise you. And you have no idea how the Holy Spirit is going to use your life. No idea. You may never find out. It may not be until 14 million years from now when you and I are fishing on the west bank of the Crystal Lake. And where then some person's gonna come up and say, I gotta tell you, back in 2021, you don't even remember this. But here's what happened, and your response was so incredible. I thought, how could anyone respond that calmly? And it took me down a road of thinking, and then I realized you, you'd go to church, and so I decided to go to church too. And then I heard it wasn't really you, it was really Jesus inside of you. You have no idea how God is going to use you. And if your hope is in the life to come, you can be freed up to live a life that doesn't need any credit right now. But if your hope is in this life right here, you're going to do everything you can to get everything to go your way as often as it can. The subject for the Lord's sake now to every human institution. Now, again, because he's not giving us an exhaustive treatment on this, we don't have to do a a tremendous amount um, of work here. But understand this. The purpose of government, he's going to mention this in verse 14, is to punish wrongdoers and to promote right doers. I don't even know if that's correct English or grammar. I'm using it though. The purpose of government is to punish wrongdoers and to promote right doers. God has established government and God can even use pagan government in order to accomplish his will. The government has the power of the sword in order to bring about punishment for crimes, etc., the church does not have that power and authority. We have ecclesial power and authority. We can withhold the table from you. We can warn you. We can uh, plead with you. We can admonish you. We can uh, punish you in a church sense, but, but we can't take you to court. All right, there's lots of things that, that we can't do. God has given that authority to the government, and the role of the government is to punish wrongdoers and to promote rightdoers. The purpose of the church is to always and consistently bring people to Jesus. Those who already know him, take him to Jesus. Those who don't know him, take him to Jesus. So what does submission to the government mean? First of all, submission in this sense right here, the term that he uses consistently in several sections, it just simply means to obey. Now, on a macro scale, I would say it this way, that your decision actually becomes my decision. Even though I may not be in agreement with your decision, I will move forward with what it is that you have decided as if I have decided it. Now, I'm going to give you a caveat because I know you're already going there. So stay stay with me for just a moment on those areas that do not violate the will of God, okay? Stay here. Your decision becomes my decision, and so I'm going to I'm going to walk in obedience to what it is that the government has set up. One quick example. I hate the speed limit. I despise it. It's of the devil. The speed limit is there to protect citizens, correct? From maniacs like me. I don't like the 35, are you kidding me? Right here on Ox Bottom, 35 miles an hour? At 10.30 at night when it's me and like one other person for the next hour that's going to be on the road, your decision becomes our decision. And I'm going to treat this as if I decided it. 35. I'm going to take an hour to get to Walmart. Praise God, it is going to allow me to swerve the deer that are going to make their way across the road, though. Submission to government means obeying, obeying the laws of the city, the state, the county, etc., that we would have. Secondly, it means respecting the authorities of said government. He's going to mention this here in just a little bit, but verbal respect is the primary use in which he's talking about respecting and honoring. I I don't care how the world responds to politics. I don't. Please, for Christ's sake, speak respectfully about politicians. You don't have to agree. You don't have to like them. But what Peter is saying is this. The world is watching. And what is normal right now in America is to turn on the TV, and whether it's the right saying this about the left or the left saying this about the right, one side is pointing towards the other and saying, moron, idiot, what in the world? How do they get into office? They have no idea what they're doing. See all the bad things? See all the bad things? Leave that up to television. Leave it to talk radio and respectfully disagree hold your position fight in the right kind of way for your position vote for where your conscience uh, 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 takes you to vote but do it in a respectful manner do you know how weird you're going to seem if you treat those that are on the opposite side of you respectfully What an incredible drawing card that might be. How might God use you when you have words that uphold the dignity and humanity of someone with whom you have radical disagreement? Finally, it means... To do the good things, simply that the government do good for the government, and to do the things uh, that they are asking. Now, regardless of the type of government, submission is to take place. Again, I remind you, Nero is likely in charge of this. It's likely at the beginning of his reign when this letter is written, and so um, the, the, the heinous things are not yet happening to the church. I in there. But regardless of the type of government, um, the principle to submit to the governmental authorities is there. Listen to Jeremiah 29, 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. God exiling them to a city that was not his in the sense of that there were people that were reaching out and saying, God, how can we do things your way? He's saying, seek the welfare of that city. As one theologian wrote it says this way. Christian freedom rests not on an escape from service, but on a change of master. Know that you can serve, you can submit your governmental authorities, because ultimately you're submitting to Christ in there. And who is the greatest example of submitting to the government, even though you don't agree with the government? Hmm, let me think. The very one who gave us the command. Jesus, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And Jesus had all power, all authority given to him. There is nothing on planet earth that is not his. And he says, submit. Unless the government asks you to violate the revealed will of God. And if the government asks you to violate the revealed will of God, then I want to urge you, I want to beg you, resist. Do it respectfully and understand that you may bear the consequences of disobeying a government. That's okay. Bear those consequences. But do not ever submit to a government that asks you to violate the revealed will of God. I don't know how often you're going to be put into that position. I do know that when I look back in time, some of the civil disobedience that's taken place in the United States was all for very, very good and important uh, reasons. So there's the principle. He is trying to get across the main idea that submission to the government is good. Now notice what he says here in verse 15. Submission to the government is the will of God. Again, unless that will of the government is in conflict with the revealed will of God. Finally, this is where we close. Do not use your freedom for good. What does he mean by freedom? We have been freed by God. We have been freed in in a multitude of ways. But no matter what the government is, we are free people. Our souls have been freed. So he says this, don't use that freedom though as a cover up for evil. Don't use it as a, means by which you're going to go around and do some of the things that he is mentioning, speaking in, in horrific manners against those that may be in authority over us. Hear this. Freedom is not the power to do whatever I want. Freedom is the power to do what God calls us to do. It is a simple illustration, and there is not a single bit of emotion in this illustration. But hear this. A train is at its freest when it is on the tracks. Going down a hill, a train is at its freest when it is on the tracks. When it decides, I'm, I'm a little restricted. I'm not really sure that uh, you know that the, the, this system has my best interest in mind. And how dare you step in and violate my freedoms, my autonomy. I'm going to decide, I'm, I'm going to get off this track for a little while. And I'm going to go down this mountain in a way that I want to go down this mountain. And it, it wreaks havoc. It, it, it ushers in utter destruction. Um, it is a bad thing when a train gets off the tracks. It is a bad thing when a Christian chooses to run their own lives in the way that they seem, what seems best to them. Stay on the tracks of the will of God. And you and I will experience a freedom like no other. Finally, and this really is just a summary. He gives us four very quick imperatives in verse 17. Live honorably, I think in what he's saying here, in all contexts of life. Now, theologians wonder if there's some sort of way that we can make comparisons here. And maybe we could. I think the best way for us to look at it simply is this. That he gives two things here. He compares the world and the church and he also mentions in here the government and God himself. And I think all he's saying here is that whatever aspect of our life, whatever context, whether be our social life, our church life, spiritual life, political life, we are to live in such a manner um, uh, uh, that it would be honorably um, before God. The world and the church at times are in tension with one another. The authority of God and the authority of government at times are in tension with one another. I think that's just what he's saying appropriately honor all of them. My friends, if your hope is in getting the U.S. government to be the exact way that you want that government to be, you have a temporary hope. I'm not saying that you shouldn't fight for what you you want. Fight for it. Absolutely. Argue. Argue. Uh, uh, hold your position, uh, campaign, uh, try and convince others. Do all those things. It's good. It's right. But if your hope lies in America remaining, this bastion of freedom that we have so wonderfully and mercifully enjoyed, you likely have a temporary hope. But if your hope is a living hope, In the reputation of God, in the life that is to come, if your heart is set on the glory of God, no matter what the circumstances, then you can fight for what's right here in an honoring and respectful manner and leave the results up to God. You can trust God radically. Choice is yours. The reputation of Jesus is at stake. Heavenly Father, thank you for who it is that you are and what it is that you have done. And Lord, I ask that you would help us um, as your people. Would, Would you have us live the kind of lives that you want us to live? Again, Lord, if there's something that I have shared here today that is not true, it does not accurately reflect your word, then cause it to forever be forgotten. But whatever you have taught us, Lord, I pray that you would bury that so deeply within our minds and our hearts that we would be compelled to become doers of your word rather than just hearers only. Holy Spirit, have your way in us. Bring the power of Jesus to us that we might live lives that others would point to and bring glory and honor to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.